1: Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Uh, Let me add to the welcomes that you've already received this morning. Uh, Hello, uh, shout out to those who are tuning in online as well, and a particular welcome to you if this is your first time with us. Uh, We are so glad that you're here. My name is Dave, uh, I'm married to Rowena, uh, father to Sam, Tom, and Beth, and it is my honour to serve as the lead pastor of this church. We certainly hope that you, whether you're new today or whether this is the 100th time you've been here, that you will be encouraged to know Jesus and make Jesus known as a result of gathering together in this place today. Uh, A few things before we dig into God's word this morning, uh, a a few bits of family news. Uh, We had a a couple of weddings yesterday, Uh, Pat and Sophie, uh, they got married, that's exciting, I doubt they're here, but let's give them a round of applause. Uh, we also had Julian and Tracy with a marriage renewal yesterday. Are they here? They're coming to the service tonight. Let's give them a round of applause. Very encouraging time. Uh, lots to thank God for in our church family. Uh, and one thing we spoke about last week, we spotlighted an upcoming City Kids Club uh, that we're running twice this term, on the 19th and the 26th, Friday afternoon. Uh, we'd love to invite Grade 2s to Grade 5s to come along. Uh, it's at Windsor, all the details, all the details. will be online. Uh, and those nights will also have youth group at the same location afterwards. There'll be an overlapping dinner, uh, so a great opportunity uh, to keep equipping the next generation uh, in our church to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. Hey, today is uh, something called International Day of Prayer uh, for the persecuted church. Uh, Christians all across the world will pray and pray for, there's some 315 million um, brothers and sisters in Christ who are under the constant threat of persecution because they're Christian. Uh, It says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. You know, we gather together, churches gather together all across the globe in local congregations like this. Uh, And yet we are always part of a bigger group of people, a bigger body of people, those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the global church. And at any one time, many of our brothers and sisters are, in fact, uh, suffering precisely because they're followers of Jesus. And I think we have the opportunity to pray for them, to pray that they'd hold firm to Jesus, to pray that we would remember them in our prayers, not just on one day a year, uh, and to pray that we would be inspired to keep trusting Jesus in the face of adversity as they do. Why don't we pray to that end and then pray also for our time in God's Word. Uh, If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for all that you're doing uh, in our church family. Uh, We're thankful for the way that you are at work. Uh, Father, thank you for marriages. Uh, Thank you for stories about how Jesus is at work in our lives. Uh, Father, thank you for um, the opportunity to gather week by week. And Father, as we gather together today, uh, we're thankful for so many things. And we want to pray in particular for our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer because they follow Jesus. Uh, Father, we know and we read in Scripture to expect suffering, to expect persecution. Uh, As they hated Jesus, they will hate the followers of Jesus. And Father, I'm sure there's ways that um, people here feel something of an opposition because they're Christian. Uh, And yet, Father, we know that there are many around the world who feel an even greater sense of opposition, uh, who are under the constant threat um, of physical violence uh, because they belong to Jesus. Father, be with them. We remember them today. Uh, we want to remember them all year, our brothers and sisters who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, who have the same spirit, who are called into the same family, though we may be absent from one another, though we may be on opposite sides of the planet, we are part of the one family of God and so we pray for our family. And Father, we we want to ask that you would give our brothers and sisters just an incredible hope in Jesus, that they'd know that Jesus is better that Jesus is better than the persecution that they face, that Jesus is better and what he in his kingdom offer is better than anything that the kingdoms of this world offer. And so, Father, would you help them to keep trusting Jesus? For brothers and sisters right now who are ready to give it up, um, may, they, may, may you hold on to them. May they keep their eyes fixed on Christ, who's loved them with an everlasting love, and may they look forward to the eternal reward for all to persevere in Jesus and continue to the end. Father, we pray that you would be with them, and Father, we likewise pray that you would encourage us to not only pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, but to be inspired by them. May we have boldness, may we have courage. Uh, we may not have the same uh, issues to contend with, but Father, whatever issues come our way, because we're following Jesus, may we remember our brothers and sisters who give up everything and count the cost of discipleship to follow after Jesus. May we too uh, follow Jesus in our city and in our world. And Father, we, we want to thank you once again that you're a God who speaks. Um, may you speak all across the planet right now and across this next day or so as, as believers gather uh, underground in homes, in big theatres, out in fields, in lounge rooms uh, and in this cinema. <laughs> uh, Father, would you speak to your people? Uh, give us ears to hear the word that we've just heard read out Uh, and that by the power and the illumination of your spirit you would not only give us understanding but give us the will to put it into practice and father we pray this confidently and boldly uh, because of Jesus because he is alive he is ruling and we know that he will one day return it's in his name that we all pray and all of God's people said amen amen well I want you to imagine this situation Uh, there's a behind-the-scenes camera crew who are going to follow you for the next week. Uh, Kind of everything is on display in the footage that they are going to capture. And I want you to imagine that not only do you have a camera crew that are following you around and and getting an insight into the -the behind-the-scenes in your life, that your unbelieving, your non-Christian friend, your non-Christian colleague, your non-Christian neighbour also has a camera crew following them around too. You got, the, you got the situation? Some of you are freaking out about having the cameras following you around, but it's just a, it's just a, a, a thought experiment. If we were to watch a summary of those behind-the-scenes moments in your life next week, would you look any different from them? Would you look any different from them? Would you do the same things? Would you say the same words? Would you think the same thoughts? You know, it raises the question, what difference does following Jesus make? How, how, how will being a follower of Jesus impact your day-to-day life? You got the question? What difference does following Jesus make? Uh, We're going to consider that question as we conclude our encounter teaching series. Uh, We've been working through the Gospel according to Luke over the last couple of months, uh, and we've been looking at interactions that Jesus has, encounters that Jesus has along the way. And today, in our final encounter, we will meet someone who is radically changed because of his encounter with Jesus. There's three things uh, I want you to notice as we dig into this story. Uh, Who's ready for the first one? Two and a half people, amazing. Uh, The first one, number one, for those taking notes, is that Zacchaeus was a sinner. Zacchaeus was a sinner. Jesus here, in our final encounter, encounters Zacchaeus. Who was Zacchaeus? Good question. What do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, there's two categories of people that Jesus continues to interact with in these surrounding chapters in Luke's Gospel. On the one hand, Jesus interacts with the religious establishment, the Pharisees, the scribes, the synagogue rulers, you've kind of got people from the religious world, those who are perceived to be good people. But secondly, he's also interacting with sinners, lowlifes, those who are considered to be bad people, on the margins, unclean, people that we stay away from. Jesus is interacting with both the religious and the rebels, the sinners. Zacchaeus, he is in firmly the sinner's category. going to pick it up at Luke chapter 19. Grab out your Bibles, keep them out, keep them open. Uh, We'll spend most of our time in Luke 19. If you don't own a paper copy of the Bible, we'd love to gift you with one. So please see our team out at the info desk after the service. We'd love to put one in your hands and encourage you to read and encounter Jesus in this book. But Luke chapter 19, uh, let's pick it up from verse 1. It says, he entered, Jesus entered Jericho. And was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. We've got Zacchaeus, we learn a little bit about him. And one of the things that we learned about him is that he was small in stature. I remember as a teenager, uh, one of the best TV shows in the 1990s uh, was Seinfeld. And every time I read this passage, I can't help but think of George Costanza. Does anyone else picture George Costanza? Uh, A man who is of small stature... Uh, A man that maybe doesn't have the best reputation? Well, I'm going to compare and contrast Zacchaeus and his role, because he was a tax collector. And I want to kind of compare and contrast modern day tax collectors versus someone like Zacchaeus. And just so that we don't have to imagine anything, just picture George Costanza uh, as we talk about Zacchaeus. Now, who, uh, who, who knows who George Costanza is? Uh, the vast majority do if you don't. Uh, Seinfeld is now streaming on Netflix so check that one out for three easy payments. No. <laughs> well we have a, um, let's, let's compare and contrast today versus back in the time of Zacchaeus. Uh, we have a number of uh, tax workers, we have a number of ATO workers in our church. Uh, heads up, no need to hate them uh, and let me tell you one of the reasons why. Now, normally at the end of the year, uh, you get a tax return. You get money back from the government. Hey, you paid more tax than you needed. Here's a tax refund. One year, I actually didn't pay enough tax. And so I needed to pay the government more tax at the end of the financial year. Now, it's normally an easy transaction because the money just kind of automatically gets sent back to you. But when you owe more, you've actually got to actively do something about it. And Dave didn't actively do something about it. I forgot to pay it. And so the tax collector knocked on my door via a letter. Basically, the letter outlined how they wanted to help me. The letter gave me a whole bunch of options on on how they could help me, whether to pay off the loan, uh, whether to uh, have some type of financial assistance or financial advice or a longer period of time with a payment plan. They gave me multiple numbers of hotlines to ring depending on my scenario. I was really impressed with the compassion and the kindness and the tone of the letter. Now, important question, how much money did I owe the Australian government? Wait for it. $5.27. That's all. I didn't really need a payment plan. I didn't need advice on, on how to do that. I just needed a gentle reminder, Dave, you haven't yet paid your $5.27. But you know what? The experience was—it was—it was encouraging to be totally honest. To kind of think: imagine someone in a situation with way more owing than five dollars twenty-seven. There's enough of a hey—we we want to help you out. We, you know, we, 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 we're here for you. We—we we, we don't just want to throw you under the bus. We don't just want to go and confiscate all your property. It was a nice letter. Nice is not a word that you would use to describe tax collectors in the first century in Israel. Tax collectors like Zacchaeus, who were they? Well they were Jewish rip-off merchants, that is they were from the nation of Israel and they were working though for the enemy, the occupying Roman forces and so they were hated by their fellow countrymen uh, for good reason. You know, the tax collectors then didn't send nice letters like the one I received. They'd send their entourage, they'd send their muscle to beat you up and to get even more. Rather than collecting the $5.27, they would extort $527 out of you. Did you notice in verse 2, it said that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector? He's a tax collector of tax collectors, right? He's high up the chain on being a traitor to his nation and verse 2 also said he was rich and so if tax collectors were considered to be the lowest of the low, the lowest sinners you could imagine in society, here is this lowest of the low among the lowest of the low, a traitor to his own people and yet he is desperate to meet Jesus. Remember, he is, what did it say? He is small in stature. Verse 3, he can't see over the top of the crowds. And so verse 4, he's clever. He runs ahead, picks the pathway, climbs the tree, awaiting Jesus. Now, it's worth pausing for a moment. Why was Zacchaeus so desperate to meet Jesus? Well, I think at least two things. Number one uh, is that there would have been a lot of hype surrounding Jesus. Word has spread about him. And here he is, passing through Jericho. Here is the one who has healed the sick, who has calmed the waves, who has fed 5,000 people with some kids' play lunch. He has brought dead people back to life. He teaches with a power and authority that no one had known before. And he welcomed sinners. He was kind to those on the margin. He looked at the overlooked. And so people all over the place are intrigued by him and beginning to follow him. And so you can imagine Zacchaeus, like the majority of people at that time, are intrigued to likewise meet this Jesus. But more than that, I think second for Zacchaeus, he knows, and the story will reveal this, that he was a sinner and he actually needed Jesus and what Jesus offers I think Zacchaeus is well aware of just how far short he has fallen from God. You know, back in chapter 18... uh, we, verse 9 to 14, we won't read it out but you can glance your eyes over it, but in chapter 18 we, we meet a tax collector in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, if you don't remember the story, basically two men go to the temple to pray, one is a Pharisee, a religious guy, one is a tax collector, uh, a sinner, you know, the good guy and the bad guy. The, the religious guy, the Pharisee, stands up and he says, God, I thank you that I'm really good thank you that I'm moral, I thank you that I'm upright, I thank you that I'm better than idiots out there, including this tax collector. The tax collector though, he doesn't even look up to heaven, he beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know, off the back of that story, you'd remember that Jesus says, this man, the tax collector, is the one that goes home friends with God, not the religious one, not the righteous person. And I think there's a sense in which you can almost imagine the audience that heard Jesus tell the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, who were the audience, they were religious people, you can almost imagine some of those religious people getting to the end of the story going, tax collectors, (laughs) yeah, maybe in your made-up story, Jesus, yeah, yeah, maybe he might cry out for mercy but we know what he's going to be like, we know how he's going to return to his old life. And yet here in Luke chapter 19, we don't just have a parable, we have a real-life tax collector who wants to meet Jesus and wants to take hold of what Jesus is offering to him. You know, perhaps, perhaps you're here today and you are well aware of your sin. Look, it might be you're, you're fairly new to Christianity and it might be you're, you're, you're aware of the weight of of the ways in which you've fallen short in your life, of the things that you've done wrong, of the people that you've hurt, of the ways you've even hurt yourself, and the ways that ultimately you failed to honor God. And maybe you've arrived at the point where you're ready. You're ready for someone, somewhere, to do something. You can't deal with some of that conflict within. You can't deal with some of that turmoil within. You you know of your sin and your inability ultimately to deal with it and with its consequences. If that's you here today, we're glad that you're here. The reality is we're all guilty of sin. We've all rebelled against God. Sin ultimately is a heart attitude of rebellion against God. We're all guilty of that. And, And the best thing is, we meet Zacchaeus, who was a sinner. The best thing is, is that Jesus came to do something about Zacchaeus' sin and about our sin. Jesus came to do something about our sin problem. See, number one is Zacchaeus was a sinner. And number two, beautifully, is that Jesus is a saviour. Jesus is a saviour. This is the best news you'll hear today that Jesus came for sinners. Jesus is the saviour that sinners need. Pick it up with me in Luke chapter 19, verse 5, it says, And when Jesus came to the place, that is, the sycamore tree, where, where Zacchaeus is, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully what a moment. Everyone's desperate to meet Jesus. Zacchaeus climbing a tree just to get catch a glimpse of Jesus and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, call him by name. I'm coming to stay. I need to stay at your place. Now, Zacchaeus isn't like, ah, look, I've got a few business meetings. Actually, I'm busy. I've already got some other people coming over. Uh, look, I've got to go kick some heads. Uh, you know, like... He's not like, I'm looking at my eye, Cal, and going, uh, not today, Jesus. He is, heck yes. What does it say? He received him joyfully. Zacchaeus wants to meet Jesus, and now Jesus is reaching out to Zacchaeus and inviting himself over, and Zacchaeus embraces this invitation from Jesus. Embracing Jesus receives Jesus joyfully. And yet, there's some people in this scene who aren't quite joyful. Usual suspects, look at verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. This is the religious folk who are always grumbling. What do they grumble? He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Constantly grumbling. All of these religious folk think that it's odd that Jesus would go and be the guest of a sinner? And yet if they'd been tracking with Jesus' ministry and Jesus' interactions, this is not the first time. The religious continue to be surprised that Jesus would hang out with sinners. And yet it ought not be a surprise because Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners like Zacchaeus. Jesus came to save sinners like you and I. Jesus came to save even religious people who think they don't need saving. Jesus came to save sinners and in fact look what happens on that very day look at verse 9 it says and Jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house since he Zacchaeus also is a son of Abraham salvation has come today You know, Zacchaeus is told that he can become part of Abraham's family, that is the people of God. Now, Abraham was a big deal in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to Abraham, God called Abraham, God made promises to Abraham that the world would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And one of the things that you see in the Old Testament with Abraham's descendants, and even more clearly in the New Testament, is the difference between the physical descendants and the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Now, the physical descendants of Abraham are those who have descendants by birth. But the spiritual descendants of Abraham are those who are descendants by faith, the same faith that Abraham has who trusts God. In the midst of the Old Testament and Israel's failure to trust God, there was always a remnant who were continuing to trust in the promises of God. Uh, that the, the not all of Israel were necessarily spiritual descendants of Abraham when they were far from God and yet God always maintained a remnant who would keep trusting in him and in many senses you can look at the life of a tax collector in the first century and go he is clearly outside the spiritual family of God, he has betrayed God's people, he is, he is working for the enemy, there's no way that The tax collector, a chief tax collector, a wealthy tax collector would have seen himself as being part of the family of God. And yet Jesus says, Salvation has come. You are part of the family of God by faith. You know, he knows his need and that's why he wants to meet Jesus. And then Jesus comes to meet him and he receives him joyfully, he embraces him. And in that moment, salvation has come. Zacchaeus is saved. By the Saviour, Jesus. And then we get that final wonderful verse, verse 10, where Jesus speaks of himself. He calls himself the Son of Man and he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Came, and seek, came to seek and to save the lost. You know, all of these encounters that we see in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is on the same mission. He came to seek And to save the lost. Now, how does Jesus seek and save the lost? Well, by the end of this chapter, by verse 28, you'll see a heading that says the triumphal entry. Uh, He's about to arrive in Jerusalem. A bunch of chapters ago, he set his head and face towards Jerusalem, to go fulfill the mission that he came to fulfill. And he's about to land, he's about to arrive, which means the accomplishment of his mission, to seek and to save the lost, is about to take place. Jesus is willingly not only going to this holy city, Jerusalem, but going to this holy city, Jerusalem, to die a sinner's death. You know, as you meet Jesus in Luke's gospel, you meet one who had no need for a saviour. Because he wasn't a sinner. He was without sin. Jesus is God come amongst us in the flesh. He lives a perfect life. He fulfills all righteousness. And so Jesus not only lives the life we failed to live, the life that Zacchaeus failed to live, Jesus then goes to that cross on that hill outside the city in Jerusalem. And Jesus dies a death, a death that was reserved for the lowest of the low. You know, crucifixion was reserved, not just for a common criminal, but for the worst you can think of. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst possible criminal you can imagine. And Jesus, who has no crime, who is guilty of no sin, who has always lived perfectly, dies. A sinner's death, rather than Zacchaeus dying, not only for crimes that he commits in this world but for his rebellion against God, Jesus dies in his place. You see, Jesus is the sinless one dying in the place of sinners at the cross. That is how Jesus ultimately fulfills his mission to seek and to save the lost. And we know, a couple of chapters later, the death couldn't hold him down. Jesus conquers the grave. He defeats sin. He defeats Satan. He defeats death. And he offers to all who trust in him, eternal life. Just like Jesus' tomb is empty, our tombs will be empty if our trust is in the sinless Saviour who was sacrificed for our sin. You know, in the lead up to this chapter, like we just keep getting this wonderful picture of the kindness of our Saviour, the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. We have the story in Luke 15 of the lost sheep, the story in Luke 15 of the lost coin, the lost son. Jesus is gracious and compassionate. He is kind toward us in our time of need. He welcomes sinners. Do you know that you are a sinner in need of saving? I know that many of you do. You've already responded. You've already uh, received Jesus joyfully. Let me urge you this morning that you would. Let me urge you this morning to never forget who you were. Now, what a wonderful story we heard from Leah on the screen earlier on. And the work that God has done in her life. May we be a people who never forget where God has taken us from and to. May we be a people who live in gratitude and thanksgiving for what our Savior has done to forgive us of our sin. And let us also be a people who have a heart like Jesus has a heart for sinners. Here's my hunch. Sometimes the longer you're out of the sinner category because you've responded to Jesus, the easier it is to land into the religious category, right? And it might even be there's people you find uncomfortable in our church. There's, there's people that kind of are around the orbit and the, kind of the, the borders of our church. And they're actually just a, a little bit too sinful to get too close to. There might be people not just in our church but outside of our church, in your community in your suburb, parents at school, a colleague, and and you look down on them. Let me urge you to have the heart of Jesus to the sinners, both in our midst and outside of our doors, to have the heart of Jesus that that says welcome, that embraces the lost, that celebrates when they're found, that is even part of the work of making the sinless saviour known that other sinners likewise would come to Him. But look, you might be here today and you know you're a sinner and you know you're in need of saving, but you've never responded to Jesus. Maybe it's only just clicked, maybe it's kind of been falling into place for some weeks or months or even years, but you've never actually put your trust in Christ. Let me urge you today to make today the day where you receive Jesus joyfully. He welcomes you Know that you are lost. Know that He has come to find you, to forgive you, to give you salvation. Take hold of what He is offering. You know, we've begun with the question, what difference does following Jesus make? Well, as we read on, it makes a massive difference in Zacchaeus's life. We've learned, number one, that Zacchaeus was a sinner. Number two, that Jesus is a saviour. The third and final thing, number three, is that Jesus transforms sinners. That's good news. Jesus transforms sinners. Now, again, just a reminder of the context. Uh, Chapter eighteen, we had the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And and remember, like there'd be many voices thinking there's no way a tax collector could be changed. There's no way a, a tax collector's spots could be changed. Once a tax collector, always a tax collector. Once a low life, always a low life. That would have certainly been the attitude of the religious folk listening to the parable from chapter 18. And likewise, we saw at the end of chapter 18 the, the rich man and how it was impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It was more possible for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And yet, Luke 19 gives us a picture of a tax collector actually being changed. Luke 19 gives us a picture of someone who was super rich entering the kingdom of God. You see, there's one verse we haven't reread yet from Luke chapter 19 that gives us a glimpse into an important topic in the Bible called repentance. Repentance is a radical change of what you worship. You're worshipping one thing and you turn away from it to worship another. It's like the idea of a U-turn, right? You're driving down a one-way street the wrong way. When you realise you're driving the wrong way, you stop and safely turn around. You chuck a U-ey. You go back the way you should be going. You see, repentance involves a change not only of mind but of behaviour, a change of attitude and actions, a change of belief and then behaviour. And then there's kind of the two sides is kind of going one way and then turning the other. And we see both of those things for Zacchaeus. First, he turns away from his sin. Have a look at verse 8. It says, "'And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, "'Behold, Lord,' The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. (laughs) He turns his life around upon following Jesus. He gives half of his possessions away. And he promises not just to repay what he owes those that he has defrauded, but to pay them back fourfold. This isn't just a making of amends. This is going over and above. Rather than taking, he gives. Rather than stealing, he does something useful with his hands. He repents. He turns from his old ways and lives a changed life. But at the heart of that, it's not just the turning away from certain things and behaviours. Secondly, it's turning to God. You see, that's a picture of what it means to be a Christian. You turn away from the things you once worshipped and now you begin to worship the true and living God. You see, Jesus doesn't, you've got, to get this, you've got to get this right, Jesus doesn't save the lost so they can continue being lost. When the lost are found, they are to live differently. Jesus doesn't rescue us from darkness that we would continue to live in darkness. We're called to live in the light, to live differently. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, you are no longer lost, but you need to be different. Now, let's get this clear. You aren't saved because you are different. You are different because you're saved. Does that make sense? You've got to get the order of operations right first. He receives Jesus gladly, then lives a changed life. We we put our trust in Christ, his finished work, in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and then we seek to live a changed life, not to earn God's favor. We've already got it because of what Christ has done on our behalf. He's welcomed us when we were at. Our worst. You see, the idea of repentance is one where we respond to Jesus not just as our savior. Now, for the most part, there's there's some people who don't think they need saving, and there's people who are offended, and it requires a lot of humility to actually say I need saving. But for the most, of us, if you if you're willing to sit through a church a few times, you're probably going to hey, I'm called to take the bit that Jesus dies for me and He saves me. Sounds good. Salvation, awesome. <laughs> Heaven, great. No hell, even better. We're willing to take the saviour bit, but part of following after Jesus is not just trusting Jesus as saviour, but obeying Jesus as Lord. Lord, he's our master, he's our boss, he's in charge. We live, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. You know, as we think back to that behind the scenes video I spoke about at the very beginning, it's an important question to consider, it's a hypothetical, but as you reflect on your life and you reflect on the lives of unbelievers around you, are you any different from the world? There's so many different areas we could talk about and compare and contrast and a, a really helpful thing to do off the back of this sermon is to kind of list a whole bunch of things in your life and are you different? But let me, let me give you three, sex, money and power. Uh, those who don't belong to Jesus think radically different and behave radically different when it comes to sex, money and power. Christian. Our sexual ethic must be in, in, in conformity with Scripture. The way we think about money, Jesus speaks, remember we spoke about this last week, Jesus speaks more about money than He does anything in the New Testament. More than He speaks about sex, more than He speaks about heaven and hell, He speaks about the power and the, the, the allure of money. Are we different in, the, in our position, our heart motivation, our use of money? And likewise, are we different when it comes to power? And when we think of power, we think of people. We're we different in the way that we engage with people, the way we love people, the way we serve people, the way we forgive people. Are our attitudes and actions any different from the world in these and many other areas. You know, we're a, we're a young church. We're only five years old and uh, we regularly engage people who don't know Jesus. You might be here today and you don't know Jesus and this is new. We, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, some, of, some of you are, have been investigating Jesus for a while and we, we're not going to twist anyone's arms and force them to do anything or say anything before they're ready. But what it also means is, it's actually tricky sometimes to know when to have conversations with people or not. Does that make sense? Because I'm certain, there are people in this room, your life looks more like someone who is worldly, who doesn't follow Jesus because you're worldly and you don't follow Jesus, right? And, and, and we're, first and foremost, as a church and as a pastor, we're not interested in changing your behaviour. First and foremost, we want you to meet Jesus. We want you to receive Jesus. We want you to see that He is a saviour, ready to embrace you a sinner. Before we discuss any ways to bring your life under the lordship and the rule and the reign of Jesus, come to Jesus. We want you to hear Jesus, Jesus, Jesus before you hear anything about changed behaviour. But for those who claim to be Christian here, we actually do need to have a conversation about how to live under the rule and the reign of Christ. Again, there's so many different categories, but sex, money, power, if a a lack of Christian fruit, godly fruit in the way you pursue those things in your life, it may be a significant red flag that you're not truly converted. If you don't look any different from the world around you, if you're not walking in repentance, it may be that you're yet to put your trust in Christ and yet to actually become a Christian. You know, salvation is by grace alone. We are saved by what Christ has done for us. It's grace alone. And yet we can cheapen grace. We can presume upon grace. German pastor who stood up to the Nazis in World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he spoke about uh, cheap grace compared to costly grace. Cheap grace is where we take sin lightly. You know, and if sin is taken lightly, then... Uh, The salvation which Jesus has purchased is also cheapened. But costly grace, he says, comes from realising how great our sin was, how great the gospel is, and that a changed life matters. Grace changes us. God, by his gospel of grace, changes us. And so living a changed life matters. Repentance matters. You know, there might be some of you right there that are feeling condemned at the thought of a call to repent. We we ongoingly need to heed that call and it might well be in your Christian life, you just continue to struggle with sin. You are trying to put sin to death and I want to urge you and encourage you to keep going. And the Christian life actually is one where we will never fully master sin in this life. Sinless perfectionism is a heresy. You will not live a perfect life before Christ returns. Romans 7, 1 John 1, Galatians 5, each of those passages speak to something of the reality of the ongoing struggle we have in our flesh against sin. We strive to put sin to death. Keep going, brother. Keep going, sister. Kill it. But know of of Jesus' kindness to you, even in your struggle. You know, I love these incredible words from... John Newton. He was a former captain of a slave trading ship whose life was radically turned upside down when he met Jesus. He's the author of Amazing Grace, the lost that once was lost, I'm now, I'm found, uh, saved a wretch like me, that guy. I love this quote he said towards the end of his life. He said, although my memory's fading, I remember two things clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour brothers and sisters, as a community, let's fight sin together. Let's be honest, we're all great sinners. (laughs) Let's help each other to put sin to death though. And one of the ways we help each other to put sin to death is we continue to point each other to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to our gracious, great, loving and kind Saviour, Jesus. As I invite the band... Uh, back out the front, I want to close with uh, a brief story of uh, Violet. Uh, Violet was one of those that got baptised a couple of weeks ago at our fifth birthday celebration. Uh, Here's Violet just after she's been baptised. There's Alexandra beside her as well. Uh, Let me read to you uh, some of the things that were shared on that day about uh, Violet's story. Uh, She said this, I was born in an atheist family. I never believed in God and I was mocking Christian people. But my sins and my bad decisions brought me down. But on the night uh, when I wanted to end my life, I called a friend who prayed with me over the phone. I came to understand that God loved me and that Jesus died for me and was raised again. He saved my life that night on earth and he saved my life for eternity. Uh, I love that Jesus loves me no matter what. I never knew this kind of love existed. I now love going to church and he has changed how I see the world and how I see myself. He has made me a different person by His love and His grace, and all I can say is thank you, God. I love you, and I will follow you forever. I've um, I've loved uh, getting to know Violet a bit more in recent weeks and hearing more of her story and hearing where she was a year ago, and how gracious and kind God has been to her, and how radically changed her life is now. The way that she relates with people, the way that she relates with staff in her workplace but one of the things that uh, I've been struck by is even her changed attitude to money it no longer has a hold on her like it once did no longer a worry about what to buy next but is actually seeking to give more away to give more away to give more away you want to know that you're no longer held bound by money just give it away and give it away and I loved even hearing uh, from Violet as she shared, you know, during those Compassion Sunday weeks we had a, a two months ago where uh, we raised money and sponsored children. Even in the service, she's doing the maths and kind of going, if I make these slight changes in my life, I can save this much money a day and I could sponsor a child. <laughs> Goes out, sponsors a child. Kind of immediately, there's just this heart that wants to serve, care for the poor, use her money for the sake others. Brothers and sisters, let's give thanks to God for his work in Violet's life and let's pray that God would continue to change each of our lives. Church, would you stand as we pray for that ongoing transforming work of the Holy Spirit? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus' posture and heart towards us. Thank you that he welcomes sinners. Thanks you that he calls us to draw near to him. Father, would you do a work in us today that we would receive him joyfully? And Father, would you help us to trust in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection? And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would keep changing us. Oh, Father, we long for miraculous changes in our lives now. But we also know there's times when it takes longer and we pray for grace. We pray that you'd help us to have grace reign and rule even in our church community, that we would be kind to one another, that we would help one another turn away from sin and turn to Jesus, our Saviour. Father, may you do a work in us that we can't take credit for ourselves. And Father, we long for that day when we will see Jesus. We long for that day when we'll stop repenting because sin will once and for all be done away with. The old order of things will have passed away. While we wait, Lord, help us to keep seeing Jesus clearly, trusting him wholeheartedly and obeying him with our lives. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we all pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church,